Well, good morning, church family. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab, uh, grab a Bible and turn to Proverbs 29. I want to welcome you this morning. If you're, if you're new to Stones, my name is Pastor Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, and I know uh, we have a lot of people watching online from home today, so we want to welcome uh, all of you. As you're turning to Proverbs 29, I want to I tell you a story about a guy named Eddie Chapman. Uh, Eddie lived in the early 1900s. He, was, uh, he grew up in Great Britain. And he lived a life of low-level crime. And uh, so when he was serving his first prison sentence, he met a couple of German guys who were Nazis, and they recruited him to join the Nazi cause. So as soon as he was released from prison, he left Great Britain and then uh, went to Germany, and then the Germans recruited him to be a spy. And so his mission was to go back to Great Britain and gather as much information as, as he possibly could and, and then get that back uh, to the Germans uh, as World War II was really getting, getting started. And so another mission that he had was he had to find a British airplane factory, infiltrate it, and then destroy that factory. And so uh, the Germans flew him to Great Britain. He parachuted out of an airplane, landed uh, in Great Britain, and started working. Well, it wasn't long before the British intelligence services uh, picked him up. They knew exactly who he was. They knew exactly what he was trying to do. And what's interesting is instead of throwing him in prison, which is kind of what you would think they would do, they actually recruited Eddie to be a double agent. And so they asked him if he'd be willing to take back to the Germans uh, false information about what was going on in Great Britain and then actually send real information on the Germans back to his home country. And uh, Eddie Chapman agreed and then was a spy for many, many years throughout World War II. Now, I don't know what it was like uh, for him to be a double agent. I can't even begin to imagine what it would be like to kind of work two sides of a conflict like that. Uh, But the reason why I share that story with you is because we're going to look at a passage of Scripture today that is really going to challenge us with a set of questions that I think uh, Eddie Chapman had to ask himself. And I think those questions are, you know, who are you really trying to please? Who are you really living for? You know, which side are you really on? And church, those are questions we have to ask ourselves every single day. And what's interesting about those questions is really nothing's going to impact your relationships more, your friendships more than how you answer those those set of questions. All right, so we are in week three of a series that we're calling Friend Request. We're really just looking at what the Bible says about what it means to love people in our lives, what it means to, uh, to be a friend, to be in relationship with one another. And so, uh, so that's what we've been looking at. And so this morning, I want to read to you, we have a short passage, just one verse, one proverb uh, from 29, verse 25. Let me just share this with you and we'll, we'll jump right in. So Solomon writes this, he says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Now, I, I love that because really what we have there in that proverb is uh, it's a double proverb. And each half of the proverb is true. And each half of the proverb stands on its own. So when you bring that proverb together as one, it really gives us an, a very powerful insight into relationships. And I want to kind of tease that out today. What we see Solomon doing is giving us a clear warning. And then he gives us clear direction. So let's begin with the clear warning. Let, let, me, let me show you what he says. Uh, first half of verse 25, the fear of man lays a snare. Now, 
you have to ask yourself, well, what, is, what does he mean by the fear of man? I think, first of all, that word man doesn't mean just men. It means people. It means men, women, and children. Uh, and really what he's talking about when he talks about the fear of man, he's talking about people pleasing. He's talking about being a people pleaser. And, and this fear of man manifests itself when you and I value the opinions of other people more than, we evalu- more than we value the opinions of God. We give more weight, more importance to what other people think than we do with what God thinks. And what happens is that's very dangerous. He talks about it lays a snare. It's a trap. It's very dangerous for us because when we put that much weight on another person's opinion, then, it, then they begin to control us. They begin to kind of master us. And the problem is, is in our minds and hearts, we're saying we need more people in our life. We need people in our life more than we need God. And that's a very dangerous place. And that's why it becomes a snare. That's, that's why it becomes a trap. Ed Welch defines the fear of man this way. He says it's, it's really when we replace God with people, uh, their opinions or possible opinions, attitudes or withholding of love become your master. That's what becomes ultimate or first in your life. And so in other words, the fear of man is, or people pleasing is when we have this desire to be respected, we have this desire to be admired, and we have this desire to be included. And it's accompanied with this fear of being rejected, or a fear of being overlooked, over fear uh, or a fear of being mistreated. So, so it's this desire for something, but, it, but there's a fear at the very root of it. Now, let me just kind of say this, because I, I think this is really important for us to, to kind of understand as we jump into this issue a little bit. God made us all with a desire to be loved and accepted and included. That's just called being normal. That's just a, being a human being. And so we all ha- have a desire to want uh, to please others and to have their approval in our life, to have their affirmation. Church, there's nothing wrong with that. We, God gave us that. The problem with it is, though, when it becomes first place in our life, when we begin pursuing that more than we're pursuing anything else, uh, when it becomes ultimate, that's when it really becomes a promise or a problem. So what I want to do today is I want to I just share with you three pitfalls of people-pleasing. Okay, three traps, three pitfalls that we fall into when we start into people pleasing. And then I want to talk to you just briefly about how we can break free from it. So let's, let's look at pitfall number one. Pitfall number one is really this. When I start people pleasing, I miss God's purpose for my life. That's what happens. When I begin to people please, I miss uh, God's purpose for my life. In other words, in other words, I guess another way of saying it would be this way. You can't be worried about what other people want you to be and then focus on what God wants you to be at the same time. It's just not going to work. I can't be so consumed with other people's agendas and fulfilling other people's expectations and pleasing other people and trying to please living a life that is worthy of God and pleasing him in every way at the same time. It just can't work. It's, a, it's an impossibility. And so God doesn't expect you to try to do that. That's, that's way too much. And so I, Campus Crusade for Christ is a, is a college ministry and, and uh, they have a, 
they have a gospel tract, a pamphlet that they use. And on that, on that tract, it says, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, my late father-in-law, Woody Church, was a pastor. And when he would recruit somebody for ministry, he would always say, God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. And that was his way of, you know, pulling you into ministry and, and serving the body of Christ. But the truth is this, church, God does love you and everybody else has a wonderful plan for your life. Have you guys figured out that out yet? Can I get an amen to that? Absolutely. I mean, I think we've all, we've all experienced that. And I think the truth of the matter is, is you're going to experience pressure your entire life from other people or even groups of other people to fulfill their expectation for you, to fulfill their plan for you. And it's interesting because the younger you are, the more pressure you're going to feel to cave into it. Now, back in the 1950s, there was a hidden camera reality TV show called Candid, uh, Candid Camera. And what they would do is they would hide a camera somewhere. And the genius of the show, it was a really funny show, they would capture people being human. And it's the funniest thing. And so they really would give you an insight into human nature in some of the situations that they, that they set up. And so, and so in one particular episode called uh, Face the Rear, they put a camera in front of an elevator. And then an unsuspecting person would walk into that elevator and they would do what you and I would do. They would, they would automatically face the front of the elevator. Well, what they did is they brought in three actors right behind that suspecting, unsuspecting person, and the three actors would automatically face the rear. And then they would put the camera right on the face of the person looking at this so that you could just feel the angst in them as they're trying to figure out, should I conform to what everybody else is doing? Uh, I found the clips. I want to show it to you. Watch the screen behind me. Here's the candid subject. Here comes the candid camera staff, three of them at least. And uh, this man has apparently been in groups before. <laughs> now, here's a fella with his hat on in the elevator. First, he makes a full turn to the rear, and Charlie closes the door. A moment later, we'll open the door. Everybody's changed positions. <laughs> now we'll see if we can use... Now we'll see if we can use group pressure for some good. Now, in a moment... On Charlie's signal, everybody turns forward. <laughs> Notice, they take off their hats. <laughs> and now, do you think we could reverse the procedure? Watch. I just think that is hilarious. And, that's, and, and the truth is, that's all of us, right? Can I get an amen to that? I mean, we all feel that. And I think the bottom line is, there's a point where you're gonna have to ask the question, am I gonna fulfill what everybody else wants for me? Or am I gonna fulfill the purpose that God has for me? That is ultimately where the question lands. And so obviously being in an elevator and having your hat on or turning and face wherever, uh, th that's not really that big of a deal. But serving God really is. 
And so the question then becomes, well, what is your purpose in life? I mean, if people-pleasing leads me away from my purpose in life, then what is my purpose in life? And very simply, church, it's to please Jesus. It's to serve him. That's why you were created. That's why you're born. That's why he's given you life and breath and everything you need to fulfill that purpose in your life. I love how the Apostle Paul says it in Galatians 1.10. He, he asks this question for, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, he says. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, he says, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, I want you to look at what he's saying there. He's saying the very minute that I start focusing on being a people pleaser is the minute that I cease being a God pleaser. That's what he's talking about. And so that's your purpose in life, to please Jesus. And that is so, it is so, um, it is so freeing because it just simplifies what we're about and who we are to live for. Now, I will say this. When it comes to your relationships, a big part of what it means to please Jesus and serve Jesus is loving other people. And God has called us to love other people. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this or not, but if you're constantly living in the fear of what other people think of you, then you're not relating to them in love. You're relating to them in fear. You're actually relating to them in selfishness because you're saying in that relationship, my feeling worthy, my feeling of significance, my feeling of approval and affirmation is the most important thing in my life. And so you're actually relating to them uh, based on selfishness. And so the Bible says this, that there's no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So let me just give you, let me give you a secret. The way that you truly love other people is by first loving Jesus. Because he sets you free from the fear of what, of what other people think and being enslaved to that. And so the way you, what God has called us to do is truly love one another and put their needs before our own, to consider their interests as more important than ours. Does that make sense? So that's your purpose in life. And when I live this people-pleasing kind of focus, I miss my purpose in life. But there's a second pitfall that I wanna share with you this morning, and it's this, that when I start down the road of people-pleasing, I make God seem small. I make God seem small. And so what happens is as I give myself to trying to please and impress and win the affirmation and the approval of other people, what I'm doing is I'm giving them authority. I'm giving other people influence. I'm giving other people place in my life that, that only God deserves to have. And so that's huge. The Bible has a term for that. That's called idolatry. And so other people are now taking the place of God, the only place that, that God really deserves to have, and that is first in my life. Now, the flip side of that is true as well. So when I, when I really walk away from people pleasing and I choose God pleasing, then what happens is God becomes big and other people's opinion becomes small. In other words, the opinion of, of other people, their influence begins to kind of lose its grip in my life. And that's why it's so huge. All right, but walking down a, pe a people-pleasing kind of relationship is really going to lead you to do things you don't want to do. It's going to lead you to compromise. When I was growing up as a kid, I, I would get caught doing, you know, what all, all the other kids were doing. And I would get in trouble, you know, and, and I would say to my parents, I would say, well, 
mom and dad, everybody else is doing it, right? And uh, my parents responded with the question every single, uh, every single parent has asked for millennia to their kids. Uh, well, if everybody else is jumping off a bridge, are you going to go jump off a bridge too? And, and uh, you know, if you want to make your kids frustrated, just ask them that question, you know, because they'll say, that's such a stupid question to ask, you know. Is it a stupid question? Because when you read scripture, God seems to believe that you and I have a strong propensity, given the right circumstances, to go and jump off a bridge because everybody else is doing it. I think there are a couple of examples of this. Um, Places you least expect it. Um, King Saul, the king of Israel, he was given very specific instructions from the Lord in a military campaign. And, uh, And Saul won that military campaign. God gave them the victory and he didn't follow through on the instructions. And so Samuel, the prophet in Israel, confronted him on his sin. And I want you to notice, I want you to notice how Saul responds. He, he, he responds revealing how big people are in his life. He, he says this, this is 1 Samuel 15, 24. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. See, he wasn't afraid of disobeying God. He was afraid of letting down the people. And what you see there is a picture of God being small in his eyes and other people being really big. That's what you see. And so the question that I have for you is this. Is there an area of your life where you know you're doing something wrong in order to to win the approval of your friends? That's the question. Because that's exactly what, what Saul did. He's doing something he knows is wrong in order to win the approval of his king. I mean, he's king. All he has to do is carry out the will of God that's, that's asked him to do, that he, he's asked him to do. So, so there we go. We, we, uh, we miss God's purpose. We make God seem small. Then number three, uh, pitfall number three, I become exhausted. I become absolutely exhausted trying to please everybody else. Now, do you know why it's exhausting to try to be a people pleaser? Because you can't do it, church. It's impossible. It's an impossibility. I don't know if you've thought about this. Even God can't please everybody. Do you know that there are a lot of people today praying that it'll rain? There are a lot of people praying for a sunny day. And what do we know? At the end of the day, somebody's going to be disappointed. Because even God can't please everybody. Can I ask a question, church? Are you trying to do something that even God can't do? Because there's a good chance it's wearing you out and you become exhausted because you're trying to do what what you're, you're not created to do. You're trying to do something that is absolutely impossible. Now, think with me. What is the strength of a Christian? What's the strength of a Christian? The joy of the Lord is. And so the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Listen, when we make a commitment in our hearts to live for Jesus, to seek first the kingdom of God, something happens. The power of the Holy Spirit is released into our life. We have the wind of the Spirit at our back to live the life that he's called us to live and to be the people of God that he's called us to be. We are called to be his servants. And when we fulfill that purpose, he empowers us. He shows up to move through us in a big way. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Romans 14, 17. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, 
but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What is the kingdom of God? It's the rule of God. It's the reign of God. And when you and I live with Jesus ruling our lives, it results in three things, righteousness, peace, and joy. That's where it, that's where it is. And so, and so that's at the heart of what God has called us to be. You see, you can't please everybody, church. God it doesn't expect you to please everybody. And pleasing everybody doesn't bring you lasting joy. Now, I would say that, you know, some of you are, if you really think about it, you have been, you've been trying to please somebody your entire life. And for a lot of us, it's apparent. And maybe years ago when you were a kid, you know, your dad or your mom said to you, you know, you're never going to amount to anything. Or they said to you, they looked at you very, and, and very painfully said, you know, why can't you be more like your brother? And you're just like, you kind of, at that moment, you put, you, you established a mission in your heart that says, I'm going to prove my dad wrong. I'm going to prove my mom wrong. And you've been living for this attaboy or this girl for years and years and years. And church, I just want to tell you something. If you haven't, if you haven't pleased a parent by now, you're probably not going to do it. And the problem is not, the problem is not you. The problem is they're unpleasable. I mean, you brought home C's and they asked you, why didn't you get B's? And you brought home B's and they asked you, why didn't you bring home A's? And then you brought home A's and then they asked, well, why didn't you do this sooner? And you're like, I just give up. And so, and so the reality is this, you don't have to please everybody. You just have to please one person. And his name is Jesus. And you live, you live for him because I'm telling you, his opinion is the only opinion that matters. It's the only opinion that defines you. It's the only opinion that's going to last forever. And we turn on cable news today and, you know, you have all these talking heads giving their opinion about what's going on in the world affairs. And nobody remembers anything they've said three minutes after they've said it. But I tell you this, the word of God will last forever. And it's the word of God that defines my life and your life in Christ. And so you only have to please him. And so you can live in the power of joy, the power of the Holy Spirit when you set your heart on pleasing him. Now, here's the question. How do I break free from this? Well, I think, I think Solomon gives us some insight into this. Let me, let me show you the clear direction that he gives us in the second half of verse 25. He says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord, see that, is safe. Safe. See, we think if we don't measure up that we're going to be hurt. We're going to be rejected. We're going to be condemned. And what Solomon is alluding to here is this, that faith is the key to being set free from this, this habit, this propensity, this disposition to people, please. That faith in God is what sets us free from it. That it empowers us to overcome it. Now he says, whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. That Hebrew word for safe, it not only means secure, but there's, there's a there's a part of it that really conveys that God sets you up on a high place and then no one else can touch you in that high place. That's what it means to be safe. So in other words, I think what he's, what he's talking about here is that when you trust in God, 
that God bestows upon you a glory that is more glorious than, than all the glory of man. It is the glory of God's smile on your life, God's pleasure in your life, the delight of our heavenly Father in us, as imperfect as we are. That we can know that, that we can experience that through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the work of Christ, that that be, can become a reality in our lives. And when you experience, you experience what Jesus experienced when he heard the Father say, this is my son whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. It changes your life, church. Because in Christ, we are his sons and daughters as well. Now, what does this look like practically? I mean, we're talking about really trusting God to overcome people pleasing. What, is it, what does it look like practically? I, let me give you three thoughts on this about what it really means to trust God to overcome people pleasing. I, I think first of all, we need to trust God for who he made us to be. We need to trust God for who he made us to be. And you're like, well, what do you mean by that? God doesn't want you to be anybody else. He just wants you to be you. He is overjoyed at you. He delights in you. He created you. You don't need to be someone else. You just need to be you. And so when you stand before God on the day of judgment, he's not going to ask you, why were you more like your sister? You know, why weren't you more like your brother? Why, why can't you please everybody? Why weren't you more famous? He's not going to ask you that, church, because that's not his expectation for you. He gave you gifts and talents and abilities and skills. He gave you a personality. He gave you an experience so that you would use those to bring glory to God expressed in a way that's uniquely you. Isn't that amazing? It took me the longest time to figure this out, that I had to come to this place of accepting who God made me to be. Some of you heard me tell this story. I, I grew up in middle school and high school, and I wanted to be a star athlete. And the reason why is because I just really wanted to be loved. And I thought I had to do something to prove that I am worthy of being loved. And I thought, well, the way to do that is just in the athletic arena, you know, and trying to perform and show everybody that I'm significant, that I'm somebody, and I'm worthy of love. The only problem with that plan of being a star athlete, God didn't make me six foot four, 220 pounds, and I can't run a four, 240. Um, that's the only problem with that. And so I really had to come to a place of saying, you know, God didn't make me this way. He must have a different plan. And I really began digging into the gospel and I began to realize what the word of God says is he's loved me from the foundation of the world. That I don't have to prove anything to him. He loves me just because, period. He loves you just because, period. Doesn't matter what you've achieved. Doesn't matter what kind of, how much money you've made. Doesn't matter how popular you are. Doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. Doesn't, none of that even matters. He created you. He loves you just because. From the foundation of the world. And church, when you really begin to realize that, man, it sets you free from this performance trap that we live in every single day of trying to earn our way and to earn our keep. And so I came to realize that God had a, be, a much better plan for me than I even could even dreamed of. And I surrendered my life to that plan of serving him and praise be to God. It's the best decision I ever made. Now, when it comes to our relationships, let's just apply this, this one for a minute because this is so key to loving one another. And the reason why is this, when you come to the place 
of accepting, you know, who God made you to be, then you can get to the place of accepting other people for who God made them to be. You guys tracking with me on that? Now, all of a sudden, because I've accepted myself for who, you know, he made me to be, I now can accept you for who he made you to be. That means I don't have to manipulate you. I don't have to control you. I don't have to change you. I can just love you for who you really are. Man, the gospel is so powerful, isn't it? Do you see that? Do you see the change that takes place? I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if we just related to each other based on love? based on just mutuality, just based on I'm pursuing what, you know, what you're interested in and what's best for you and you're doing that for me. And I think that's how God created us to be. I think that's what heaven's gonna be like, by the way, because we're gonna shed all of these sinful compromised uh, motives in our life. Now, so we need to trust God with who he made us to be. But secondly, I would say this, we need to trust God by valuing what is eternal. We need to trust God by valuing what is eternal. I think people pleasing is really a, an overemphasis on something that's just temporary and doesn't last. It doesn't last. We're, over, we're prioritizing something that doesn't last over that which is eternal. And that is a feeling of approval or inclusion and acceptance. And so, so much of what we worry about, so much of what we're concerned about, in the big scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. You guys know what I'm saying? I mean, think with me. You guys remember when you were in high school and when you were in high school, what were your five biggest concerns in high school? You remember what they were? Yeah, you were, you were worried about who you're gonna go to prom with are you, and, and are you gonna get invited to the party Friday night? Who your girlfriend slash boyfriend is gonna be? Um, are you gonna pass the test? And are we going to beat Carmel on Friday night? That was, that was really who you were worried about. Those were your biggest issues. And five years later, do any of those things even matter? Well, except for beating Carmel on Friday night. That's the only one that really matters. Um, I'm just kidding on that. But um, you guys know what I'm saying on that? It doesn't really matter. Now, what is that? It's just getting wrapped up into something that ultimately doesn't last. And so I love how, how John puts this in 1 John 2, 12. Uh, he says this, and the world is passing away along with its desires. A lot of people are selling out to their desires. And interesting, the Bible says that there's going to be a day when those pass away. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's what I want. I want to I I abide forever with him. Here's the last one. We need to just simply trust God by living for an audience of one by just living for an audience of one. I've been hitting around all this, this entire message, but let me just try to say it this way. Let me just try to explain it this way. It would be this, that the creator of the universe, the sovereign of the universe, uh, the Lord of the universe is worthy of your life. His opinion is the only one that really matters. His opinion is the only one that's gonna last. You only need to please him. And so, and so that is incredibly freeing. It's so liberating. It simplifies our life from all the complications because I only have to please one person and his name is Jesus. And I want you to think about what that one person 
that creator, that Lord, that king, that sovereign over all the universe, what he did for you is he gave his life for you on the cross. That's how much he loved you. That's how much he loves you today. And so he died for you. The very least that we could do for him is live for him. The very least that we could do. I mean, think about it, think about it this way, church. And Adam, Adam talked about this earlier. Everything we have belongs to him. Every, our breath, our family, our life, our job, everything. Church, we're only giving back to him what is already his in the first place. And he's asking us to trust him. And the good news of the gospel is this, that he gives us the power to live a life worthy of him and to please him in every way. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. So which side are you on today? Who are you trying to please? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the freedom that we have in you. That when we become a a bondservant of Jesus Christ, we mysteriously, paradoxically become free. And I pray, God, that we would just be men and women and boys and girls and students that, that live in the freedom of Christ. That we can just love you and follow you and trust you and please you. And we just don't have to worry about all of these other things. Lord, we thank you that we belong to you. We are yours. And so today we just surrender back to you what already is yours in the first place. So God, I ask that you would just give us faith to do that. Open our eyes. We would see the glory and the delight that, um, that you have when we, when we live for you and we worship you. And so we thank you and we praise you. And all of God's people said, amen.